Hello, and welcome to the Retirement Repair Shop. I'm your host, Mary Beth Franklin. This podcast focuses on retirement challenges and ways to get financial plans back on track. During this seventh season of the Retirement Repair Shop, we will explore the challenges faced by mid-career workers, the so-called sandwich generation, as they juggle the needs of their children and aging parents, all while building their careers and saving for their own future retirement. Please note, as you listen to our discussion, we use the terms financial professionals and financial advisors interchangeably, even though they have slightly different meanings. The key question of this third episode is, how do we talk to our aging parents about their finances? With me today is Chris High, founder of Wealthcare Solutions. That's Wealthcare, spelled like healthcare with a W in front. Very clever. Chris, a few years ago, you co-authored a white paper that detailed how the aging of the U.S. population presents both challenges and opportunities for the financial services industry. Adults over the age of 50 control more than 80% of U.S. assets. Meanwhile, nearly a quarter of Americans over age 65 experience some form of diminished mental capacity, putting them at risk for both poor financial decision-making and exploitation. Tell us a little bit about wealth care and how you got interested in the topic of financial caregiving. Thank you, Mary Beth. Thanks again for having me today. Really appreciate the opportunity to talk about some of these issues. It began um, several years ago. Unfortunately, I have a family history of dementia. My mother had dementia. My grandmother had dementia. My aunt had dementia. So I was dealing with it kind of in real time. Towards the end of my mother's life, I was the closest family member. So I was taking sort of the caregiver and I was the one who was helping her find facilities and visiting her in the memory unit. So that was a big driver uh, for me. And then also I have a very good friend, uh, Dr. Tony Weiner, who's the head of geriatric psychiatry at the Mass General Hospital. And he was actually helping me with my mother and he was going through some similar issues with his mother. And of course, he's you know, dealing with older adults and their families on a regular basis. So we, we just got started talking and he was just really impressing upon me the importance of these issues and the need for better, really for better tools to help families deal with these issues. And uh, we, we ended up talking even more about the financial issues. We both have a, a mutual friend whose parents were some combination of scammed and poor financial decision-making that resulted in them losing literally millions of dollars. So we decided that not enough was being done to protect older adults and their families. So we initiated a small clinical study at Mass General Hospital. Now, we were also working at the time with um, Andrew Lowe, who was the head of the finance lab at the Sloan School at MIT. So we put together a nice little protocol and basically, the idea was to try to better understand the relationships between aging, cognitive impairment, and financial decision-making. I mean, we all have a sense for, as you get older, you tend to make worse financial decision-makings, but what is it really? And, and, and what we found out is that it, it has, it's not just memory loss. You know, a lot of people will talk about memory loss, and memory loss is important, but there are a lot of other things that go on cognitively as we get older. And what we found, what seems to be most important for good financial decision-making was what psychiatrists call executive function. 
So it's kind of the ability to plan, the ability to organize, the ability to connect the dots. I mean, it's not terribly surprising, but what we saw is when those capabilities tend to go, it really appears like the ability to make sound financial decisions and the susceptibility and vulnerability to financial fraud really becomes an issue. You know, there are now more than 55 million Americans over the age of 65, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. That's a nearly 40 percent increase in the elderly population since just 2010. So it seems that many of those older Americans, I might even include myself among those older Americans, may be affected by some sort of diminished capacity when it comes to handling their finances. Often it's their sandwich generation adult children who must step in to help their parents, sometimes at the expense of their own financial security. How big of a problem is this, Chris? Mary Beth, it's a really big problem. Not only are there 55 million adults over 65, there's actually closer to 100 who are over 54. And then the way our society's aging, by 2035, there will be more people over the age of 65 than under 18 for the first time in U.S. history. So this is really our future. We're moving towards older society. And managing healthcare and long-term care in the U.S. is complicated. It's emotionally trying. And it's Above all, it's expensive. There are currently about an estimated about 53 million caregivers already in the U.S., and about 42 million of them are taking care of older adults. And what studies have shown is, is caregiving can be not only very time-consuming and, and emotionally exhausting, it can be very expensive. Almost 90% of caregivers act as what some people call financial coordinators, so they help with paying bills, managing investments. And about 70% of caregivers provide direct financial support. So that, that can be a big chunk uh, of, of someone's assets uh, when they're trying to take care of their parents. And then, and as you say, many of, the, many of these adults are also still trying to take care of their kids. And either right. their kids might be in college, so they're making college tuition payments or private school payments, or you know, maybe the kids have even moved back in. So that's that can, that can end up being a lot of money. And this can affect... Everybody, experts or novices alike, I think you made reference to someone who is truly an expert in caregiving who confronted this problem in their own lives with disastrous results, right? Yeah, it's really sort of sadly ironic that um, there was an article a little while back about the head of caregiving at uh, the AARP, and it turns out she had to declare bankruptcy because of caregiving. She had two aging parents. Uh, I think one of them had dementia, and she just spent so much time and money um, taking care of them that she herself had to declare bankruptcy. So even someone who's you know very aware of all these issues, it can still you know devastate your life and your finances. Well, if that's not a wake up call, I don't know what is. And the fact is, in this country, we don't have a uniform way of either caring for elders with dementia or other um, health care needs, long-term care needs, or paying for it. You know, at, at the lower end, there's Medicaid, the payer of last resort, but basically you have to spend down all your assets before you qualify for it. And at the high end, there's long-term care insurance, which was a product that maybe if you bought it over the last few decades may have been an appropriate bet. But because those long-term care insurers 
um, really didn't know how to price that product. We've seen all sorts of premium increases over the years. So even people who bought long-term care insurance in the past may no longer be able to keep it. Uh, what do you see from the the financial end of how do people who have a need for long-term care, how do they pay for it? It's very difficult. I mean, my mother was fortunate to have long-term care, but it still only covered about, um, I don't know, about a third of her long-term care costs in a memory unit. It, it's very expensive. I mean, and and you look at the statistics, it can easily cost, you know, 100000 or more a year to stay in an assisted living facility or a skilled nursing home. And unfortunately, a lot of people think that taking care of an aging parent at home is cheaper, and it can be for a little while, but eventually a lot of these older adults will need 24-7 care and hard to get help for less than about $25 an hour. So you just do the math. It's It can be tens of thousands of dollars a month. So you, you really have to plan ahead. And and I, I think that there, there are now some new products that are starting to come out. There's some sort of combinations of sort of long-term care insurance uh, and annuities and life insurance. And I'm somewhat optimistic that we're going to get some help on the product side to deal with this because I think there's just too much of demand for this. There's just too many people needing help now that uh, are ha- having trouble meeting the needs of their parents, that they're, they're really, some, some company or companies are going to help us out and give us something that we can really use to support our, our family and eventually ourselves. This is certainly a problem screaming for a product solution. Uh, you had mentioned the difference between caregivers. A lot of us think of as hands-on caregivers, but for so many of the sandwich generation, it's also the financial caregiving role, helping with the bills. I'm just curious, in this digital age, on one hand, it may be easier to help a parent with uh, bills online but then there's a worry about exploitation at the same time. Do you have any insights on that? Yes. I mean, it can be a double-edged sword uh, for sure. But I do think there are a lot of tools now that are available online There's uh, and, and some related legal tools that help people, for example, you know, just becoming sort of co-signatories on accounts, ability to, to and I have a lot of friends and, and my sister did this for us, is can look into your parents' bank account. You can look into their credit card account. And you can access this on a daily basis. You can get alert. Um, and I think that all those are really, really important and things that uh, that that the, the children should think about doing. I mean, really, you know, by the time your parents are really in their 60s, it's not too early to start monitoring their financial transactions. So, and technology makes that a lot easier. And we can go into that in more detail. But there are, I would, I would suggest taking as many steps as possible that you can take to monitor what's going on with the parents. Because as you say, it is easier now to get scammed on, on the back end. We've all heard these horror stories about um, these online scams. One of the worst ones I've heard about some of these romance scams where, where individuals are pretending to be someone that they're not. And you know, too many people, too many older adults are, are falling for these scams. So Again, we can discuss this further, but that's something you really need to closely monitor. If you're, if you start hearing from a from a parent, especially the parents single, uh, if you start hearing a, a com- new conversations about new people in their lives, um, your antenna should go up and look into that very quickly. Hey,
As a financial professional, you help people set a vision for retirement and create a plan to bring it into focus. Athene can help. Use Athene's comprehensive sales development tools to help your clients see the big picture, then help transform those images into reality with Athene annuities, working with you to make retirement remarkable. Well, as someone in my late 60s, I'm not sure I'd want my kids monitoring my bank accounts and credit card statements right now. But then again, uh, maybe I feel like that's not necessary for me. Maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? So what are some of the signs that an elder might be struggling with their finances or their health care issues? For better or worse, studies have shown, and including the study that I participated in, that you know, financial organization and management are some of the first skills to decline. In fact, uh, there was a major Harvard study that came out about 10 years ago that sought to estimate the peak age of financial decision-making. And they estimated that age at 53, not 63, not 73, but 53. And so again, because we think that these, you know, cognitive decline that affect your executive function it's one of the first skills to go. And what, you know, what is that? What are financial skills relying on with your executive function? So one of the first signs is, you know, just missing payments, forgetting to pay bills, paying somebody twice, just, you know, disorganized finance. That, those are real red flags. You know, there's some obviously other other flags like memory loss. And I'm talking about really severe memory loss. It sort of affects the day-to-day functioning, what psychiatrists call spatial and temporal disorganization. So the other are your parents forgetting where they are, forgetting what day it is, those types of things. And then even just some basic mood changes. If you have a parent who generally has a very sunny disposition and they start to get more angry and depressed and sad, that's something else to keep an eye out for. So it's generally, we talk a lot about memory loss, but it can be a lot more than that. And I think that's so interesting that we do tend to think of dementia in terms of memory loss alone, but these very important executive functions when it comes to handling money, uh, that's something we should be on the lookout for. And since I'm well past 53, maybe I should be asking the kids to take a look at my finances. So let's talk about how does an adult child talk to their parents uh, about these apparent struggles? I mean, it's it's a really delicate subject. It is a delicate subject. And, and, and I don't want to give the impression that these conversations can be, you know, when you're starting to talk about health and wealth and dementia and death, those can be difficult conversations. But one thing I like to say is the only thing harder than having these conversations is not having them. And that's something that as a, as a member of the sandwich generation, you can stress, you can say, you know, you can sort of, one approach is to start talking about the pros and cons. Well, what could happen if we don't talk about this? We don't talk about this a lot of bad things could potentially happen. So let's, let's talk about this. And another, another way to sort of broach the conversation is acknowledge the difficult nature of this. And, and for a lot of older adults, they've been managing finances in their life very successfully for 60, 70 years. So it, it can be hard for them to admit that they're declining in decision-making capacity. So one way to start is to say, hey, Dad, I know this is hard to talk about. Or mom, I know this is a tough subject, and I know this is kind of personal. So there's something about sort of naming the potential difficulty of the discussion that tends to lower the temperature, that tends to lower the person's defenses a little bit. 
So that's one approach I would use. The other approach is, is you want to try to just ask open-ended questions. That not just yes or no. You want you want to get people to sort of re-examine their beliefs in a non-confrontational way. So just things like, how do you think about your health? And how do you hope your future looks like? So ask these questions. Get the other person to try to talk more. And if you can, get them to tell their stories. Storytelling is probably the oldest form of communication. And there's there's evidence that suggests is once you get people to start telling your stories, hey, Dad, what was it like growing up? Hey, Mom. What was it like when you were a kid or when you were starting out? And once they start telling you their stories, it, they automatically trust you a little bit more. I liked how you said um, the only thing harder than having these conversations is not having them. Uh, how do you point out to your parents, perhaps, of the consequences if they don't plan? So one thing that's really important to stress is that by, by making decisions now and by bringing other people into the discussion, bringing family members or friends or financial professionals into discussion, you're actually going to have more control later on. If you don't do this, all kinds of bad things can happen later on. You can get in lawsuits. I mean, the courts can decide this. There can be family turmoil. And, and you may actually lose control or you may, you, you, know, you may be seen as not having the capacity to make decisions by a judge or who knows who else. So... I think the thing that I really like to mention is, again, the earlier you do it, the more control you have. And as you get older, you'll tend to lose that control. It seems that there may be three main areas of concern here, health, finances, and creating the legal documents to handle both. Can you elaborate on that? What kind of legal documents should financial professionals be encouraging their clients to execute? Sure. I mean, they're all three interrelated. And especially as we get older, it becomes more and more difficult to separate health from wealth. I mean, for, for adults over, you know, pick a number, 60 or 70, the biggest threat to their financial security is usually not inflation. It's usually not a market downturn. It's their health. You know, surveys have shown that over and over, that that's what people worry about. So the by protecting your health, you're also protecting your wealth. And where the legal part comes in, there are some very important legal documents that anybody really over 50 should have. And, and a lot of them are pretty straightforward and not expensive at all. So I think probably the most important legal document that an older adult should have is a, is a power of attorney. Again, it's a fairly simple document that allows other people to help you make decisions in the event you become capaci- incapacitated for any length of time. So get, get that durable power of attorney. You can do that cheaply or for for, for free, but that's probably the most important legal document. The other legal documents that are very important are the healthcare proxy and the living will, because again, these healthcare decisions can have very serious financial consequences. And as we get older, just as you want somebody to help you make financial decisions, it's nice to have someone who can help and support you make these healthcare decisions. So those are extremely important documents. And then of course, having a, a will and if necessary, a trust. But um, I, I think, again, durable power of attorney, living will, healthcare proxy, get those done. They're not that hard. They're not that complicated. But um, have those on hand because, again, you never know when bad things are going to happen. And I would add to that to make sure your beneficiary designations on things like IRAs, other retirement savings, life insurance, that they're all up to date. 
because those would pass directly to the heirs without having to go through probate. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's a great point. Just don't you know, revisit those once in a while because those beneficiaries may change for whatever reason. But that that those are also things to keep tabs on, you know, on on a regular basis. So as the sandwich generation adults try to help their elders navigate their medical, financial, legal challenges, what should these adult children keep in mind about their own finances? Yeah, I think that they're related in the sense that unless something drastically changes in our healthcare system, which I kind of doubt, health and long-term care are going to be very, very, very expensive, certainly for their parents and probably for them as well. I mean, there's studies that suggest that couples are going to spend $200,000, dollars $400,000 later in life just on healthcare costs, healthcare costs and related long-term care costs. So you really need to explicitly put the, those costs into your calculations of expenses because it, it's probably it's, it's going to be one of the biggest expenses that you're going to have. And so and keep in mind that you may end up, you know, either having to pay for your you know mother or father's assisted living, or you may have them come if they come and live with you. There's all kinds of costs associated with that which we we tend not to think about, but it's really important that you build those expenses you know, directly into your future budget. And I think probably one of the greatest challenges for those sandwich generation is for many people, time spent in caregiving is time away from work, either in the form of reduced hours or having to resign completely. And we know in our country, without work, that's often means without health care, unless you're married, and it often means not having the ability to save for retirement. Yeah, I, those are great points. There's some studies that suggest what a major impact uh, caregiving can be on both employees and employers. So there's there was one study that suggested that you know 75% of workers over 45 reported that caregiving responsibilities affected their productivity at work, and some about. 30% or so of all employees have left a job due to caregiver responsibility. And from an employer standpoint, it's it's often those older employees, when you get in your 40s and 50s and 60s, maybe you're starting to take care of your parents. But those older employees, they're some of the highest, you know, the most productive employees in the company. And they're leaving because they have to take care of their parents. And it's not just that you're having to pay out more to take care of your parents. But as you say, you may be getting less income because right. you've seen it work as much. You're, you're having to take time off or maybe even quit your job. Uh, so that's something else you need to keep in mind is, you know, when I'm taking care of my parents, am I still going to be able to work the same way I'm working now? You mentioned the incredible impact this has on individuals who are serving as caregivers to their parents. But you also mentioned, which I find fascinating, that diminished mental capacity is actually a threat to the financial services industry as well. Can you explain? Yes. I mean, I think it's a huge threat. If you just, you know, if you go back and think about the statistic that I mentioned, have, that the average adult peaked in, uh, you know, at age 53, that a financial decision-making capacity peaks at age 53. Well, what's the average age of financial advisor client? It's somewhere like 10 years beyond that. You know, and I've done some research in this area. And if you look at 
combination of dementia and what a psychiatrist called mild cognitive impairment, you know, those numbers, by the time someone's in their 80s, they have a, you know, about a 50% chance of either having dementia or mild cognitive impairment, which really means they, they shouldn't be making financial decisions on their own. So I don't know. I mean, I estimate that something like, you know, 25% of financial services uh, companies' assets are at risk because of diminished capacity. And I just like to think sometimes, what would, how would financial professionals react to another threat that, you know, jeopardized 25% of their assets? I think they would get pretty freaked out about it and, and, and do something about it. So I think that there, there, there needs to be a little bit more awareness of this threat because people who are making bad decisions, they may get scammed. That, that money, they could just make poor financial decisions. That money could just go away. So that means their assets could be leaving the company and, they can, and that can happen very quickly. One of the big buzzwords in financial services is next generation. Uh, how do you reach beyond your current clients to their kids or to their grandkids to service those clients? And there's a lot of money at, at stake, as you had mentioned, by some estimates, more than $68 trillion of wealth will be transferred over the next 25 years. So what does that wealth transfer potentially mean for financial professionals and their ability to help their older clients and connect with those clients next generation? I think there's a, a direct connection. So getting back to the risk of the financial service industry, you not only have a risk of current assets, but you have a risk of what happens to those assets after the client passes away. There's different estimates on this, and it varies from company to company, but I know uh, some large firms lose up to 90% of the assets when the client passes away. So that that's a pretty big number. Um, so I like to think, you know, imagine if they could just trim that down to 80% or 70%. And I think the way to do that is to take better care of the parents, especially take better care of helping them manage these age-related financial risks, and showing the children Say, hey, look, I'm really, I'm looking after mom and dad. I'm, I'm, I'm making, trying to make sure they don't get scammed. I'm trying to make sure they make good financial decisions. Nudge, nudge, that is more money for you guys. And then also, hopefully, the kids say, hey, you know, the, all those great things you did for mom and dad, I want you to do the same thing for me. Um, by addressing these health-related risks, I think the the financial professionals are not only protecting current assets, but they're also protecting future assets down the road. There's nothing that a financial professional likes more than stickiness when it comes to the assets, that it stays with the firm even when it's passed on to the heirs. Now, your firm, WealthCare, has developed a diminished capacity assessment tool. How does it work? And, you know, which types of financial professionals should consider using it? Yeah, so we developed a an assessment, and it's based on the clinical study that we conducted at Mass General Hospital. So it has a clinical basis to it, and it's also informed by other clinical research that's been done at, at Mass General Hospital. The way we look at it, there's sort of three major threats to sound financial decision making. One is the sort of the cognitive decline. You know, so it's the person um, losing their faculties to make decisions, as we've discussed. There's another component I call more of a behavioral component. These behavioral components have some relationship with age, but they aren't necessarily only going to be found in older adults. So things like impulsivity, 
and desire to just, you know, make gut decisions and, and not do your research and conclude things like buying stuff online, responding to people, you know, that you don't know on email, giving away money to people you know or don't know. These things, they tend to get better with age, but there's still plenty of younger adults who, who had some behavioral issues that may prevent good financial decision, decision making. And then the third piece is just financial literacy. I think we all know older adults who are very smart, but they don't have good financial literacy. And that lack of financial literacy can get them into trouble. Tell our listeners where they can find out more about your firm, WealthCare. Yeah, so if you go to wealthcareplanning.com, so, and it's WealthCare with a W-H, so it's healthcare with a W in front of it. So wealthcareplanning.com, you'll um, get a, a more detailed des- description of the uh, products and services. Currently, you need to be a subscriber to use the assessment, but the assessment's been administered by dozens, hundreds of financial professionals to hundreds or thousands of their clients. So it's been out there for a while. I, I'm thinking about making a, a version of it available for free. And so so possibly later this summer, you'll see that on the website. And I'm also developing a new product, uh, a new chatbot that's designed to help both financial professionals and individuals and families more effectively plan for longevity. And you'll, you can go and see that also on the website, uh, wealthcareplanning.com. And that's where artificial intelligence meets financial planning and healthcare. You are the future, right? Thank you. Yeah, I, I think there's there's a promise that I'm going to be writing more about this in the future. But um, my my new product is going to have a little bit of that in it. It's going to have a little bit of a you know conversation style, virtual assistant aspect, uh, customized recommendations, and it's uh, hopefully going to be easy to use and help people. Um, you know, because currently I think right now there just aren't enough tools out there to just help with older adults with the basics uh, of planning for longevity. Great. Well, Chris, thank you for being my guest on this podcast today and for sharing your ideas on how members of the sandwich generation can help their parents navigate the medical, financial, and legal challenges of aging without derailing their own finances. And thanks to our sponsor, Athene, for making this podcast possible. Check back here for our next episode of how financial professionals can equip themselves to help multi-generational clients. I'm Mary Beth Franklin, and you've been listening to the Retirement Repair Shop. Money, 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 money.